0: Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, thanks, Mark, for that introduction. Um, I did tell, He called me this morning and said, your mom just posted this picture of you. Did you run a half marathon this morning? I'm like, Mark, what time would that race have had to start? uh, Mark knows a lot about a lot of things, but not necessarily a lot about running. So um, I I said, no, I ran it yesterday, and I feel okay, except if I stood up for the next 30 minutes, I might fall down by the end of it. So I said, I think I'm going to need a chair. So um, Mark makes fun of me when I use a chair when I teach, but I don't care because Mark's never run a half marathon. So Uh, that's right. Um, so this week we are, like Mark said, we're finishing our series called Learning to Walk. Um, I've been really excited about this series. If you've been here for any parts of it, um, you've probably heard me say that I have the chance to teach through the Book of John with the sophomores that I teach at the high school that I work at, and um, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole school year is getting to work my way through the, the book with them, and so as we started planning this series, Mark said, so we want to do four weeks on the book of John. And I'm like, four weeks? <laughs> we could do like a whole year on the book of John. How are we supposed to narrow this down? Um, and so as I started thinking about, okay, what are, what are some of my personal favorite stories from the book of John? And what are some of the stories that I think really capture this idea that Jesus is worth following? And why? Why is he worth following? So we started this whole series just by talking a little bit about who he is. Um, we looked at John chapter 1 and the way that John introduces Jesus to us, that, he, um, that he's this, this, not just a person, but that he's God, that he's existed before the world was created, that he came into the world to bring us life, to bring us light, to bring us grace. And that all of those things make him someone that we should be willing to say, okay, I may not totally know everything about this guy yet, but he seems to know what he's talking about. Maybe I'll give this guy a shot. And then Josh took us through the story um, of Jesus going to see Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus had died. And if you were here for that week or if, if you know the story, you know that um, Jesus ends up bringing Lazarus back to life and when he gets to Mary and Martha, he knows that that's what he's going to do, and yet when, when he sees Mary, Mary just starts weeping, saying, Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died, and Jesus weeps with her. Now, I think that that's kind of a weird thing, and that's what Josh walked us through, right? Like, he knows he's going to do a miracle in, like, 20 minutes. Why are you crying, Jesus? You know that Lazarus isn't going to stay dead, And yet Jesus cares enough about us that he enters into what it is that we're feeling. He doesn't belittle our pain. He doesn't look at us and say like, oh, well, that's so silly that you feel that way. Um, When I was growing up, my grandma, when I would get hurt, um, which tended to happen a lot, apparently I was like, kind of a sissy. Um, My grandma would always say like, I think that's going to be better by the time you're married, Um, which made me feel like, I guess I should stop crying about this because yeah, I guess that's, I mean, hopefully true. I'm four right now. So, um, but, but Jesus doesn't do that to us. He doesn't rub our pain in our faces. He enters into what we're feeling, even though he knows that ultimately he's going to make everything right. And then last week, Mark took us through this story of Jesus, when he sees Thomas after he's come back to life. And Thomas, and if you're, if you were here, if you're familiar with the story, you know that we tend to give Thomas the nickname doubting Thomas, which I think is really unfair to him. Um, he does some really great things. He has like this one moment of, you know, doubt. And we, this is what we've called him now. But when Jesus sees Thomas after he's doubting, Jesus doesn't say like, you dummy, Like I told you this was going to happen. I told you I was going to come back to life and all your friends saw me. So why are you like not believing that I actually could have done this? Why do you not believe that I could have come back to life? Instead, when Thomas sees Jesus, he simply says, put your hands in the holes in my hands and touch the hole in my side. You've seen me now believe. He doesn't belittle us in our doubt. He gives us what we need to believe I think that as we walk through the book of John, we see these really powerful stories of Jesus interacting with people and giving us this picture of what it looks like for him to interact with people who are real. Like the people in the gospels are kind of a disaster. And I appreciate that because I also am kind of a disaster. Um, there are moments after moment after moment that I could tell you about in my life, story after story where I know the way that I should behave and yet I just can't seem to get it together. I just can't seem, even though I know the right answer, I know how I should feel, I know what I should do. I, I just, I can't. And so to see the way that Jesus has grace for people who are kind of falling apart is really encouraging to me. And so today we're going to conclude by looking at the last chapter in the book of John. Um, We're going to look at the way that Jesus interacts with Peter right as John's gospel is closing. And um, as we head towards that, I I was thinking about like, what does this story have to do with us, right? And I don't know about you, um, but... I am, I'm someone who, when something, when I do something wrong, um, when I have like totally screwed something up or I've said the wrong thing and then got caught saying the wrong thing, I don't like to face what I've done wrong unless someone makes me do it, right? So, um, there's apparently this story from, I don't really remember this happening, but I was like painting my fingernails and toenails, I suppose, in my, in my parents' bedroom when I was a little girl and spilled nail polish all over their carpet. But instead of telling them that that's what I had done, I took all the nail polish bottles and I just lined them up so that they covered all the nail polish that was all over the carpet and then acted like everything was fine. Um, yeah, my parents are smarter than that, you know, because then they, they picked the nail polish up and said like, oh dear, what has happened here? And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, someone must have done that. I don't know who it could have been. Um, there was a time a few years ago when I was um, leading this group of high school students on this summer ministry team, and I drove the bus for them. And we were driving from Atlanta, Georgia, all the way up to, I think we were going to Pennsylvania. So we were gonna be in the bus all day long. And we were making our first stop for the kids to use the bathroom and to put more fuel in the bus and um, buses typically only take diesel fuel, which I should know, I've had my bus driver's license for a long time, I just wasn't paying any attention. Um, And so we pull up to this, the story is long and ridiculous and I will spare you all of the details, but basically we pull up to a BP, diesel pumps are always green, but at a BP station, every pump is green. So I like hook the pump up to the bus and I walk around the corner to talk to my friend Ashton who is putting gasoline in our luggage vehicle, which is what belongs in the luggage vehicle. And I see that she's putting, she has put this green pump into the luggage vehicle. And I'm like, Ashton, what are you doing? You can't put diesel in the luggage vehicle. And she's like, oh, it's not diesel. It's gas. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was like that moment where all of a sudden like, oh crap. And so I went back around the corner and sure enough, I'm putting gasoline in my diesel only bus. And so I call my dad and, um, he says, you know, you probably should get that out of there because if it, if it will make the engine run too hot and then it could, you know, catch on fire. And I'm like, okay, well I have 35 high school kids on the bus. So I prefer not to kill them all like on our way to Pennsylvania. Um, so we got the situation taken care of. It involved making a siphon and diesel tastes really bad in your mouth in case you were wondering. It's awful. Um, but when we when I got back on the bus, everything had been taken care of, I said to my students, look, are we gonna tell the guy that I work for, um, his name's TK, I said, are we gonna tell him this story someday? Yes. Today, when we see him, absolutely not. Everyone keep their mouths shut, right? I don't need him to know this story, not today. We wait till the summer's done. Then we tell the story later when it's like, oh, TK, 10 years ago, I did this really dumb, because then he can't be mad then, right? And you guys know, because you've done stuff like that. You all have stories that you're like, I'll tell my parents that like 15 years from now when they can't freak out about it. I have heard my dad say things like, oh yeah, your grandma still doesn't know that story, right? I mean, we do those things. We don't like to have to face being wrong. And if I get caught in doing something wrong, my gut reaction is to find a way to defend myself or to, pa- to pass the blame off to somebody else. That's what we do. As people, that's what we do. It makes me crazy when my high school students do this because it's never their fault. I didn't know it was due today. I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to just copy my friend's assignment. I didn't, I didn't know. How could I have known that, right? They have a thousand excuses. But it's not just high school kids, it's us as people. And so this brings us to John chapter 21, because we're gonna see that Peter and Jesus are gonna have this interaction. And Jesus is going to make Peter face kind of a pretty grievous wrong that has taken place. So we're gonna go to John 21. If you're using the Bible that's under your chair, I do have the page number. It's 829, 829 uh, we're going to read um, 17 verses of this chapter, but we're going to take it little by little. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples be- beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Will come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, if you know anything about um, who these disciples are, you know that some of these guys, before they met Jesus, they actually were fishermen. That's what they did. Peter was one of those guys. And the sons of Zebedee, who are also referenced in this passage, um, that's John, the guy who wrote this book, and his brother James. They also were, um, they were also fishermen. In fact, when Jesus met them, that's what they were doing. And you can read in some of the gospel stories that when Jesus calls them to follow him, he says, come after me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So this has been their livelihood. This has been what Peter has done. This is a very familiar thing to him. And so they, they left their jobs, spent, most scholars believe, about three years following Jesus around. They're not fishermen any longer, They're learning from their teacher. They're learning from this guy named Jesus. Jesus is put to death in a very brutal way, but he's come back to life, okay? And at this point, the disciples have seen him twice. So it's not like they don't know that he's alive. They know that he's alive. They know that the things that they said about himself, that he has come to bring life, to bring salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile, they know that those things are true. And yet we find Peter in John chapter 21 saying, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go out fishing. And he doesn't just go by himself because Peter is a leader. Six of the disciples, at this point, there are only 11 of them left. Six of them say, we'll come along. If that's what Pete is going to do, that must, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And so they all go out. They go back to their old way of life. Now, this brings us to verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? I don't believe he actually said fellows because that's ridiculous sounding, but, you know, maybe. No, they replied, Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. There are so many things about these few verses that I think are, I think they're beautiful. I think that Jesus is, I think that Jesus has a really good sense of humor in the way that he interacts with these guys right here. I think it's awesome, and this is one of our points this morning, that Jesus comes to look for us when we've kind of wandered away. Jesus comes after Peter and his six buddies when they have said, we know who Jesus is, we know that he's accomplishing what he set out to accomplish, but instead of doing what he asked us to do, we're going to go ahead and go back to our old way of life. Now, I have a hard time sometimes giving people second and third chances. I tend to be like, well, you made your bed, now you have to lie in it. Sorry. That, that tends to be my attitude towards people. Now, I don't ever want people to treat me that way. I want people to be way nicer to me than I want to be to them. If I were Jesus, though, in this situation, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, Peter, seriously, this is, this is where we're at? And come on, Thomas, like just in the last chapter, Thomas was doubting who Jesus was and Jesus showed up to give him everything that he needed to believe and now he's out here fishing too, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, I got to find some other people. I mean, I got, we got to get this going pretty quickly here because I got to go back to heaven. I got to find myself some other guys because these guys are losers. What is going on? But he comes after them when they've kind of wandered away. And he finds them and he, he connects with them in a way that Maybe you don't know the story from earlier, so let me kind of explain it to you. One of the first times that Jesus interacted with some of these guys, he did the very same miracle. Um, You can read about it if you want to go back and look at it later in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has gotten into Peter's boat, and some of these other guys were there, and um, he had been sitting in his boat so that he could teach the people. Um, Sometimes Jesus would do that. He would get in the boat, and they would push out onto the water because the water is a natural amplifier, and so it would make his voice carry. And so he was sitting in the boat teaching the people, and after he had kind of finished teaching, he says to Peter, hey, did you guys catch any fish? And he said, no, we didn't catch any fish. And Jesus says, take your nets out and put them on the other side. And I can see Peter's face in my mind. Like, not actually, but I can imagine what I think it looks like. Because Peter's a professional fisherman, and Jesus is not. He's a carpenter. Like, what does Jesus know about catching fish? But Peter says, like, okay, we'll do it. So he puts his fish on the other side, and they catch so many fish that their nets begin to break, and another boat has to come over and help them haul all the fish in. And that was the moment when Jesus said, when Peter said to Jesus, I am a sinful person. I don't think that you should be too close to me. That was the moment when Peter recognized there was something different about Jesus. And what we see at the end of that story in Luke five eleven, it says that those men who were there that saw that happen, they left everything to follow Jesus. That's like the beginning of their story with him, okay? So now three years later, they've seen Jesus do what he said he was going to do, And now we're kind of back at square one. And so Jesus shows up. And this is why I think Jesus kind of has a sense of humor. Jesus shows up and it's like he's saying, oh, we've forgotten. Let's go back to the basics. And so he does for them the exact same miracle that originally had captured their hearts and drawn them in. And it's as soon as this happens that the disciples go, Oh, that's Jesus standing on the shore. We know who this is. So this brings us to verse seven. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped in the water, and headed to shore. This is how I know that Peter's excited because usually when you jump in the water you try to take some layers off. Peter puts his clothes back on to go swimming, not maybe not the smartest person that we've ever met, but whatever. Verse eight The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had raised from the dead. Okay, so things at this point, they seem kind of normal, okay? Jesus is reminding these guys who he is. He's kind of pulling them back out of their old rhythm of life. And he's having breakfast with them. I mean, they're just hanging out, okay? This is in their minds. I think they must have felt like, it's like the old days again, We're just spending time together. We get to see Jesus again. We get to spend some time, just us and him. This is really great. In fact, he even made us breakfast. What a nice guy. But for Peter, things are about to shift. And so this brings us to verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You maybe have heard this passage talked about before, um, and maybe you've heard this the conversation about the words for love that are used here. Um, that There's different words for love in the Greek language. And so um, Jesus seems to be using one word and Peter is responding with a different word. And, and I think that there's validity in that conversation. But sometimes, and, and I do this as I study scripture, sometimes I think I get so consumed with the details that I miss the bigger picture of what's going on. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And this is on the heels of something that had just happened with Peter just a couple of weeks prior as Jesus was getting ready to die. As Jesus is standing trial, three times Peter is asked, aren't you one of his disciples? Don't you know this man? And three times Peter said, I do not know him. I don't know Jesus. No, I'm not with him. In fact, the last time, Scripture actually tells us that he called curses down from heaven. He was so frustrated that people kept asking him. And one of the gospel writers records that the third time that Peter denied Jesus, the rooster crowed and Jesus looked at Peter. They made eye contact. Now, if you've ever been caught doing something wrong, like in the act of doing something wrong, you know how terrible that feels, right? Like, oh, there is no weaseling out of this one. Obviously, they know and I know that I have done wrong here. I cannot fathom what Peter must have felt as he denied Jesus that third time. And this is, I mean, hours before that, he had said to Jesus, I will never deny you. I will go to death for you. And now here we find him denying Jesus. And on that third denial, Jesus looks at Peter and they make eye contact. And I think that Peter must have felt more devastated than he had ever felt in his entire life. And so, even though now, at this point, right, now we're here in John 21, and, and Peter has seen Jesus now a couple of times before this. He's seen Jesus resurrected. He was there when Thomas got to put his hands in the hole in his hands. Now he's here having breakfast with Jesus. I think that Peter feels such guilt Because there's this elephant in the room, this unspoken conversation that hasn't yet been had, that every time he looks at Jesus, all he can think is, I was supposed to be next to you. I was supposed to be your friend. I was supposed to support you and help you. And instead, I denied that I even knew who you were. And he knows that Jesus knows Peter was supposed to be the leader of the church. That's what Jesus said to him. He says, Peter, when Peter, the first time that Peter acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus says, Yes, Peter. And on this rock, on this foundation, I will build my church. You will lead my people. And now Peter is standing here having breakfast with Jesus, and I think that all he can think about is, I don't have any right to fill that position. I'm a disaster. I, I, I fled from Jesus when he was being arrested. I denied that I knew him three times. How could I ever pretend to be someone who now leads his people? This, it's gone all wrong. And honestly, I think that that's why we find him fishing. Peter, in his guilt and in his shame, has simply decided, I'm just going to go back to what I know I was good at. Maybe after some time I can forget that this whole Jesus thing has even happened. It's too painful for me to try to face what I've done wrong and do what he's asked me to do. I just can't do it. I've embarrassed him. I have let him down. I can't do it. When I, when I think about that backstory, all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense to me that three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter had denied him. And now three times we see Jesus is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time that Peter says yes, Jesus' response is, then feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Now, sheep is the, the analogy, the, the kind of metaphor that Jesus used when he talked about his followers, which, you know, if you've ever been around sheep, they're kind of stupid, so I don't know, you want to be offended about that, but it is what it is. So Jesus is saying to Peter, listen, Pete, you really love me? Then do what I called you to do. What has happened in the past doesn't define who you are now. What happened, happened. Okay, let's move past it. I still have a job for you. The fact that you denied me doesn't change that. Jesus is walking Peter through this process of restoration. Jesus helps me to face my failures Certainly no part of Peter, I think, would have chosen to do this on his own, just like I don't ever want to have to face what I've done wrong. If you've ever said something that was pretty nasty about someone else, and you know that they found out about it, maybe you're a better person than I am, and you want to, like, talk it out, but usually I just want to kind of, like, pretend like it didn't happen, and maybe we can sweep it under the rug, and in a few weeks, everything will go back to normal. Jesus knows that that's not a healthy way to live our lives, so he helps me to face my failures and then he takes me through restoration. And even though restoration is painful, it's necessary for us to be healed. This whole story makes me think of um, a story in one of C.S. Lewis's books. I really like C.S. Lewis a lot. He was um, a Christian author. He started as an atheist, became a Christian, has written a bunch of books, both fiction and nonfiction. You are maybe most familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia that he's written, and they turned some of those into movies. So maybe you've seen them, maybe you've read them. Um, this, I'm going to read you a portion from one of his books called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So if you've seen the movie, it's okay, but the book is better, which I guess is probably how it always goes. Um, but this is, um, towards the end of the story, um, one of, one of the little boys that has entered into Narnia, his name is Eustace and he's terrible. He's this really selfish kind of bratty kid. And, um, he stole something that didn't belong to him and it turned him into a dragon. You should read the book. I'm telling you, it's pretty interesting. Okay. So he's a dragon and he's miserable. He doesn't want to be a dragon anymore. And he gets injured and is like really hurt and really sad that he's a dragon, but doesn't know how to fix it. He wants to be able to wash out the wound, but he he doesn't know how. And so the lion from the story, his name is Aslan, he's like the god figure in this story. He approaches Eustace, this dragon, and he says... I'm going, let me wash that wound out for you, but before I can wash it out, I need you to like undress so that I can bathe you. Um, And so this is Eustace talking about this. He says, I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when suddenly I thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can take off their skins. Oh, of course, I thought, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place, and then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness, or as if I was a banana. Ooh, gross. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, I said. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore and this skin peeled off beautifully and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Except exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, how many skins do I have to take off I was just longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got out of a third skin like the two others and I stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked down at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, You will have to let me take your skin off. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay down flat on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab of a sore place, it hurts a lot, but it's such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only when I did it, it hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone away from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. When I read the story of Peter and Jesus interacting with each other here in John 21, that's the image that comes to my mind. This image of, for me to heal you, God says to us, I'm gonna have to do some work and it's probably going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You're going to have to face some things that you likely don't want to face. Peter is Is wounded over the fact that Jesus keeps asking him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think as Peter is hearing that question, he's going, See, I knew it. I knew that Jesus couldn't use me anymore. He doesn't even believe that I love him anymore. Do you see how badly this has gone? Everything is falling apart. And yet, what Jesus is actually doing is he's saying, That denial doesn't change anything. That denial doesn't change anything. That denial doesn't change anything. Let me use you the way that I want to use you. This story is so beautiful to me. This story is so beautiful to me because Jesus' opinion of me isn't defined by my failures. It's defined by the love that he has for me. And what we find throughout scripture is that Jesus' love for you comes simply from the fact that he wanted to love you. The book of Romans chapter five says that while we were still sinners, Jesus chose, chose to die for us. That we weren't looking for him. He came looking for us. He doesn't love you because you're awesome. Some of you are pretty great people. That's not why he loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you do. He doesn't love you because of how many good things you put on the good pile this week. He doesn't love you because of how awesome your family is or how great you are at your job. He doesn't love you because of any of those things. He just loves you because he wants to. So it doesn't matter how many bad things you have done or will continue to do. Jesus knew about all of those things, the sins that you've already committed and the sins that you'll commit 10 years from now, he knew about all of that before he decided to love you and save you. He already knew. He's not surprised. He's not, he's not offended like, oh, well, now, why did I even choose to save this person? Why did I offer that person salvation? Look what a disaster they are. They're off the team. We're sending them home. That's not how Jesus behaves Jesus loves you simply because he wants to. And when I remember that, all of a sudden, the failures in my life aren't quite so devastating. Because me failing doesn't change the way that he feels about me. Me failing gives him an opportunity to offer me more grace. Now, that's not an excuse to just keep sinning as much as we want. Paul also talks about that in the book of Romans. When I understand that Jesus loves me in spite of myself, it makes me want to try to live in a way that can please him as best as I can. But when I remember that his love for me isn't defined by what I do or don't do, there is such freedom in that. Now I feel a little bit like a hypocrite talking about this because if anyone doesn't handle failure very well, it's me. I hate failing. Um, I'm far too competitive. It's why I don't really play very many games because um, I'm a really bad loser. And you probably won't want to be my friend after we play a game and I lose because I'm just not very pleasant to be around. I tend to only really pursue things that I think like I can be pretty good at this. And when I when I set a goal for myself and I don't achieve it, I'm a mess. I define myself by my failures. So for me to really believe that Jesus doesn't do that, this is a hard thing for me. But our big idea for the morning, and really I think what we could say is the big idea of this whole, this whole series, is that I can walk with Jesus because he offers me second chances and full restoration. Now there are consequences for our sin, for sure. And probably we can all think of a story where, well, this person sinned and then they didn't get to be fully restored to what they were doing before. We live in a broken world. I get it. But when we think about the way that God thinks about us, when he forgives us, he doesn't forgive us to some like second tier position. He forgives you and he says, I don't even remember your sin anymore, it's gone from my memory. It's as far away from me as the east is from the west. That doesn't make any sense to me. But that's the way that Jesus interacts with us in our brokenness, in our failures. This story of Jesus and Peter is one of my very favorites. And I love that this is where John chooses to conclude his gospel. Because I think there's such hope in it. And so as we conclude this morning and as we wrap up this series, my question for you, and we're going to pray just in a minute and I'll give you some time just to think about it. My question for you is what sort of like shame or failure are you like stuck on? Maybe other people know about it, but maybe it's something that only you know. Something that when you think about this, this relationship or this situation at work or at home, you think about this sin in your life, something you just think like, oh my gosh, I can't, even, I, can't, I can't even spend time thinking about it because all of those old memories come rushing back and you just feel so heavy. You would be so embarrassed if we said, you have to stand up here and tell everybody about that. You'd be like, oh no, I'm not ever coming back here. No way. What is that thing that you think, I'll never be as good as I could have been because of this? Because of this failure, because of this screw-up, because of this disaster, because of this thing that happened? What is that thing? And will you today, this week, will you be willing to say, Jesus, I... I need to invite you into that. I need to be willing to accept your forgiveness. It's not that it's not there. It's there for you. Most of us feel so burdened and exhausted because even though it's there, we don't take advantage of it. We feel better beating ourselves up over it. Like somehow that, that's better for us. We like to play the victim. We like to, oh yeah, you know, I'm suffering over this wrong that I've done. Like somehow that makes us a better person. It doesn't. It makes you exhausted and miserable. What is that thing? And will you today just let it go? Let Jesus peel it away from you so that you can finally feel free of it. And maybe some of you are going like, yeah, I've heard this before and I've done that before. Well, here's what I've learned in my life that these things, they tend to keep coming up because like it or not, I tend to keep screwing things up in my life. So maybe you've had to let go of something like this before, but maybe something else has worked its way into your life. What is that thing that you just say like, this is, it's defining me and it's exhausting me. And will you just finally say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness for this and help me to let it go and feel free. I want us to take just a minute and you can leave your eyes open if you want, close your eyes, whatever you need to do, whatever helps you to focus the best. We'll just take like 30 seconds for you to just kind of like quiet yourself. And maybe you need to pray that even this morning. Maybe you're ready to say... Jesus, come in and rip this away from me because I'm done. I'm done letting it define me. I don't want to be the dragon anymore. Take some time just to be quiet before the Lord. Father, I thank you for the stories that you've, um, that you've inspired and allowed to be written down for us, the way that you allow us to know you in large part by, simply by getting to read about who Jesus is and knowing about him. And God, thank you for the way that John so intentionally wrote all of these stories about people who were such failures. And that over and over and over and over again, without exception, we see that Jesus responds to those people with grace and with mercy. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would move in this room in the hearts of people who are here, that whatever that thing is, that failure that that relationship that fell apart, that thing that I said that I know that I shouldn't have said, that sin that I just keep doing that I wish I couldn't do anymore, but I just keep going back to it. And I feel so, so trapped in this and I feel so broken by it all. And, and I don't even know where to go. And so I'm just going to sit in it. Jesus, will you help us to know and believe that you have already forgiven those things? That when you died on the cross, you said, it is finished. It's done. I've dealt with it. Jesus, will you help us to believe that and to accept it today? Help us to stop beating ourselves up over these things and to simply say, I'm going to let Jesus heal me and restore me. And I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to use the excuse anymore that I can't be used because I've done this thing. But instead, I'm going to follow Jesus with all that I am. God, thanks that this is a place where we can be honest with each other. And so I pray that you would even help us to help each other walk through those things. Thank you that this place is more than simply a church, that this is a family. And so God, I thank you for the good things that you're going to do. In Jesus' name.